up in the church. Um, my, my whole life, I've pretty much been involved in church some way, shape, or form, um, primarily because my parents didn't give me an option. And my parents are here today, so they're over there. And hi, Mom and Dad. Yeah, thank you. So they, they forced me into it. And, uh, and so, you know, I mean, I, I just went to church since I was a little kid. And, but I grew up, you know, having a lot of interest in Jesus and the kingdom. I'd go through bouts of up and down. Um, one of my sisters, though, at a young age, um, her name is Michelle, and, and she, um, her story is that she was in the back with the kids' ministry, and somebody told her about missions, and she heard about this idea of, of sacrificing and, and surrendering and saying yes to Jesus and moving to another country and following uh, Jesus and joining him in his mission and sharing the gospel with people all over the world. And so she... She did that, and I just want to say it was because somebody was in kids' church sharing about that being something you could do, and it impacted her greatly. So, like, you could think, I have no, I have nothing to give with the kids. I don't have any cool stories. You'd be surprised about how much of a difference you can make, how much of an impact you can make by just loving the kids and telling them about Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit is at work in those things too, amen? And so I grew up, though, like, thinking missions sounded terrible. You know, I was like, oh, ugh. you know, I'd hear these stories of going to Africa and having to eat worms. Like, not interested, right? And uh, so I never had this, like, burning passion for, for going to other countries. It just wasn't something that was a part of my, my framework. Um, and so I think I had prob- – I probably was around the age of, of 29, 28, 29, and I had been pastoring for a number of years at a church, and – an opportunity came to go to, the, to Africa, the continent of Africa, and to go to a small country called Kenya. And so I had a bunch of friends pressuring me into it, really, is what had happened. And so they're like, yeah, you're a pastor. You need to set the tone. You know, if you don't get engaged in missions, no one's going to get engaged in missions. And I was like, all right, so I'll go to Kenya. So I go to Kenya, and I didn't know what to expect. And I was really afraid because I heard uh, a couple of things about the man that we were going to work with. His name was Ben Bahadi. Ben was a Kenyan. And I heard these stories about how how Ben would go out to these villages and there would be like, they would do a bunch of music. And and as as the day progressed, as they sang these songs and did these dances, they would have these huge crowds of like 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people. And then he would just randomly call on someone to go preach. And I was like, you mean like, he just tells you to go up there, and he's like, yeah, they just have you go up there. And I was like, like, to preach a prepared sermon? No. Like, that sounds terrible. Like, no outline? Nothing? No, you just go up there and share. And so I went there, and I was dreading this. In fact, there were several days in a row that when Ben would go out with the team to go to these markets, I would be like, oh, I'd love to stay with the kids. I love kids. I, I, I'm a, I, the orphans I sound wonderful, you know? Sounds good, you know? And, uh, and so people are like, you want to stay with the kids? I was like, yeah, I believe in kids' ministry. It's important. And so on the third day, I finally was like, I got I to gotta do this. And so I go, and, and it was just as terrible as I expected. I mean, literally three or 4,000 people are gathered up in this market. And then that's exactly what Ben did. Ben said, go ahead and share the gospel. And, and I was, like, deathly afraid, and I was able to – tell the story from the Gospel of John about this woman who's caught in adultery. 
and it's such a beautiful story because this woman's caught in adultery, and these religious leaders bring this woman before Jesus, and they say, look it, we caught her in the very act. What should we do? And they wanted him to say, stone her. And Jesus, it's a be- I love it, he leans down in the sand, and he draws in the sand, and then he looks up and he says, you who are with out of sin, cast the first stone. And then we know in the story that all the Pharisees drop the rocks and they leave. And then he looks at the woman and he says, go and sin no more. And it's just a beautiful story. And so that he shared that. And then just by the grace of God, like a thousand people responded to the gospel. And I was just blown away. Oh, my gosh. And, And there was this church that was a part of our outreach. And so a thousand people get saved, you know, make a decision to follow Jesus. And so Ben's like, tomorrow we're doing a baptism. And so I'm like, this is amazing. So we meet at this little, this little river, and we have all these people, and it's literally a line of hundreds of people who have come to get baptized. And so I'm helping him, and I'm like, just, you know, people are sharing their testimonies. It was a full-day event, right? And there's villagers from the other village that came and are just standing watching this happen, trying to figure out, like, what is going on? So we're baptizing people, and, and it's just, it's amazing. And, you know, cloud nine, I'm like, this is what it's all about. And then we get out, and my friend Ben's like, oh, that went really well. And I was like, yeah, it did. He's like, yeah, no crocodiles showed up. And I was like, wait, what? Like, you did not tell me there were crocodiles in this river. Like, we would have been sprinkling. I'm okay with sprinkling now. Sprinkling's okay. But anyway, all these people, 1,000 people. Um, the next Sunday, they start showing up at this local church. And this local church that was in this small city called Takamega, it went from like 150 people to like 850 people that day. It grew really quickly. And then they had to figure out how to engage people in service and start discipling people, you know, start helping people grow to become more like Jesus. And it was, it was really an amazing experience. I mean, uh, I just saw so much of the kingdom work there. And it's got me thinking about this. I think this is one of the most important questions for us and most challenging questions for us to wrestle with. And I've shared this before, but I really think that we have to constantly come back to this question. If our church no longer existed, would anyone know it? Okay, let that question sit there for a minute. If the vineyard ceased to exist, would anybody in the community of Red Bluff, this city that we love, Would anybody notice? You know, when a church is healthy, when I think that when a church is healthy and is at its best, I think that people's lives are changed. I think that God gets the glory. I think people get to experience the abundant life that Jesus talks about. And they they have these transformative experiences by the power of the Spirit. In other words, there is nothing that a community needs more than a healthy church. I believe that with all of my heart. And for these reasons, I'm a little worried about some of the trends that are, that are happening. I mean, if you pay any attention to, to religious news or, or, or church world at all, there's some things happening in our country right now that we need to be aware of, I think, just to, to think about this. So in 2019, this is interesting, 3,000 churches were started. Yeah, that's good. Just so you know, this is the part where you're like, yeah, 3,000 is good. Okay, yeah, it's better than 2,000, right? Here's the catch. Here's the catch. 4,500 churches closed in 2019. So, propose a question. How many of you 
think that it's been worse in 2020, 2021, and 2022. Yeah, the numbers are increasingly more concerning. Like, we have two things happening in the church right now. The amount of churches that we're, we're planting can't keep up with the amount of churches that are closing, okay? And we aren't planting enough churches to keep up with population growth. So we got two strikes against us as a church. It's like, woo! Okay, that's heavy. And we'll get to the good news in a minute, but just let that sit, all right? Here's another thing in 2022. 42% of pastors that were polled were considering quitting, okay? Some of you are okay with that, but I'm not, okay? We need pastors out there, right? And so that's, that's concerning. That's concerning. And then regular church attendance and involvement and, in, and support has been in radical decline in the past five years. The last two years, it's been off the charts. Like all the research I've read is like, yeah, this is not good. And let me tell you a little anecdotal experience. So I have, I have opportunities all the time to connect with other nonprofit leaders. And this is what our nonprofit leader gatherings are. How are you guys doing over there? It's a struggle. Yeah, we can't get anybody to serve. Yeah, we can't even. There's no money. What's that? Okay. And it's like, this is just what every nonprofit and every organization is really experiencing right now. Now, last week I talked a little bit about some of the reasons why I think that is. Because there's a lot of emotional burnout. There's a lot of stuff that we're dealing with that we haven't maybe acknowledged from the past couple of, of years. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me that there's all these churches, for the most part, who are experiencing the same challenge. And sure, there's plenty of really big churches out there with lots of people coming and sitting and watching, but I'm not convinced that's the way that church is supposed to be done. I think churches are supposed to be communities of people who are engaged in God's mission. So last week, we talked a little bit about our church's history. And if you weren't here Last week, I really want to encourage you to listen to the podcast because I think it significantly points the direction that Jesus is inviting us to pursue. But I, what I spent some time doing is reminding us of a, as a church of our, of our history. And so I feel like it's really easy to get into the dumps these days. Like, oh my gosh, how are we going to make it? Like society and culture have shifted so radically. What are we going to... What do we need to do to be able to reach all these weird people and all these crazies and all these people that don't have church backgrounds? They don't know the rules. And that's the same thing that people said in the 60s about the hippies, right? They're an unreachable people group. And then the Holy Spirit said, that's not true. And the Holy Spirit was poured out and, and, and literally millions of, of hippies came to faith in Jesus. And then what's beautiful all those hippies showed up at churches and brought renewal to those churches. And that's how God does it. That's how God does it. Revival and renewal are connected, and it's beautiful. And that's been the prayer that I've been regularly praying is, Lord, pour out your spirit. Red Bluff needs more of it. Red Bluff needs more of it. And so we're starting a new sermon series this month. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to seek the Spirit's direction to help us think a bit about what it means to be a church and to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple. And, and what are we supposed to be focused on as a church? Now, I would argue that we should be about 
God's mission, which is our church's mission. That should be what we're about. And that's been something we've talked about for seven years now. But I think we need to, in some ways, capture a biblical vision for what thriving, what a thriving and alive community of faith looks like and how you play a part in that. And so we're calling this series Connect, because we want to talk about being more connected. And then we also want to talk about re-engaging, like don't quit. Don't quit. Get more engaged. Get re-engaged. Get engaged in God's mission. And so I want to look at a passage of Scripture this morning in, in Galatians. And Paul writes this letter, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. And this, Paul writes this letter to the city of Galatia, the Christians in that city. And, and this is what we read. He writes, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Oh! Ouch! And he writes, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Did you all hear that? This is important. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from this sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family. So I think there's two kinds of people. There are those who like to tell people how it is, and then there are people who care about other people's feelings. Just there's no other way around it. And I'm just I'm just kind of curious. I'd like to know how self-aware some of you are in this room. How many of you like to tell it how it is? Just be honest. Okay, number of you. Some of you need to raise your hand right now because I know you. It's okay. Okay. How many of you are like, oh, I'm so compassionate and I care about people's feelings and I'll never tell people how it really is? Yeah, some of you need to put your hands down. Okay. Just think about that. Um, you know, Paul's letter, though, to the Galatians is he's, he's kind of the kind of person that's there to tell you how it is with this church. It is a letter that is, it's Paul and he is frustrated and feisty and angry. And the way he writes this letter is so different than the way he writes, uh, for example, his letter to the Philippians, where it's warm, full of love and joy. In this letter, he says things like, oh, foolish Galatians. In the Greek, the equivalent would be, you are morons. You are morons. And so he just tells it how it is. But when I look at this passage, I think we could break this passage up into three sections, and I want to just do that for a few minutes this morning. I think we can break it up into three sections 
um, that focus on three specific aspects of discipleship. And here's what I mean by discipleship. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus would say that you are a disciple. That's the whole point of following Jesus is to become a disciple of Jesus. And what that means is that if Jesus is our Savior, our Lord, our teacher, our prophet, our Messiah, our, 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 our Lord and, and God, if he's those things, which are just a few of the titles given to him, if that's true, then we are his disciples. And what we're supposed to do is to become more like Jesus. That's what following Jesus is about. It's about us being shaped and formed to be more like Jesus. So a really good question to ask on a regular basis is, am I looking more like Jesus? Am I, am I growing in my faith? Am I looking more like Jesus than I did last week, last month, last year? And you know what? The great news about discipleship is that it's a process. And some days the answer is no. The Holy Spirit says, no, not at all. And you have to recalibrate and recenter yourself on Jesus and the kingdom. And you discern what the values of Scripture are. And you, you recenter those things and you start living different. That's what discipleship is. So if you, if you have, check to see, do you have a pulse? Just check. Just see. Right now, I need some of you who are sleeping right now just to, okay, check and see if you have a pulse. If you have a pulse, and if you would say, I follow Jesus, it means that you are a disciple. That's what this is about. It's prioritizing Jesus in the kingdom. That's what discipleship is. And so there's these three specific aspects of discipleship that I think that Paul is inviting us toward in this passage of Scripture. And the first one is this. The first aspect of the kingdom and discipleship is character. Paul basically fleshes this out a little bit in this passage because he teaches us that we need to develop our identity. In other words, who I am. We have to develop that around a set of values that are established in Scripture. I don't hear the word character a lot these days. Like, I just, I don't, it's not a, a big part of, of conversations that I hear. But when I was growing up, it seemed like character mattered. Anybody attest to that? When you were growing up, did character matter? And we just, like, we don't talk about that a lot. But now, it seems like, well, whatever the wind is blowing you toward, just do. And it's like, it doesn't matter about your word and your promises and, and being faithful. Because every morning is a new opportunity to do whatever you want. And that is, that's misguided. I think the whole thing about what character is, I remember when I was a kid hearing this definition of what character is. And character is who you are when no one's looking. Character is who you are when no one's looking. And I'm convinced that we need more character in this world. We need parents to have more character. We need kids to have more character. We need everybody to, to have more, more commitment, more character, more, more focus on living their lives in a way that is consistent with the things that they say. Amen? And so instead of, Paul basically says here, instead of criticizing everyone else for what they're doing or not doing, we have to make we have to be really careful and, and pay attention to our own work. And so when other people are struggling, Paul says, we should help them. We should share each other's burdens. And so I, I think an example of this phrase, pay attention to your own work, I think we could translate that or maybe think about an application in today's world to be this. 
if you make a commitment, you should keep it. I know it's mind-blowing. Let me say it again. I, this is, I'm, I'm talking to somebody in the room, right? If we make a commitment, we should keep it and not flake out. Be a person of your word. Have integrity and, and character. And, and that's what Paul kind of, I love that Paul is, is so, he's so convinced that we need to like, we really need to be humble about this, right? Because it's so easy. Isn't it easy to be like just pointing out everybody else's flaws? Yeah, and why do we do that? We do it to take off the focus on us, right? Like, I might have done this, but did you see so-and-so? You know? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I know I haven't, I mean, I haven't been at church for a couple couple weeks, but did you hear about so-and-so? They're doing crap. You know, it's like, like, no, we need to keep focus on ourselves. Like, how am I doing? And then if we do enter into the process of helping other people, we have to do it humbly and loving and, care, and, and with care. And I love how Paul does that. And, and he's talking about character, the importance of character. And then I think the second theme that we have here is commitment. There's a focus on commitment, and this is the dreaded C word. I always feel like when we talk about commitment, it's like, whoa. I mean, have you ever talked to a guy who's casually dating a person, and you ask how serious they get, or how serious they are, and he's like, whoa, uh, (laughs) we're just hanging, right? And commitment is scary. It is. I, I remember when my, in my own life, I grew up, I, went, I was forced to go to church, and churched it up, and church, 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 churchy church, and, and then I had this thing happen where I went through a season where I was, like, madly in love with Jesus. I was like, Jesus is amazing. I don't like the church stuff. Church is full of hypocrites, judgmental. I was judgmental about the judgmental people, to be very clear. I, I'm aware of that now, but I was like, man, can you believe how judgy they are? They're all idiots. Right? So I went through this season, and then I remember um, having conversations with my dad and with other men and women that I valued and having them point out that the church, Jesus loves the church. It was like, ugh, he does? Does he know? Does he know about them? And, and then having my heart awakened and falling in love with the church. Like, I love the church now. And I'm committed. Like, I want to end my, my life in ministry when I'm 85 years old and y'all kick me out of here. I want to be still committed to Jesus and the church. Those are two things I want to love forever because Jesus loves the church. And so whenever we think about this, it's like the commitment to the church thing. We just get weird. Can we acknowledge the elephant in the room? Y'all get weird. Like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. I'm just hanging out here. Okay. Just hanging out here. But what Paul is talking about is actually is engaging in mission and being committed to community. And the reason why is because you are needed. You are all needed. Like we can't carry out the mission of God. We can't reach 14,000 people in the city of Rebla. Let's just assume that half of them are serious about Jesus, okay? That means there's 7,000 people who don't know Jesus yet. And guess what? If we're not all working together, we can't reach all those people. We just can't. So that's why we need to be committed. And that's what Paul is essentially saying here. He's, he's, he's placing this shared responsibility on ourselves. In fact, he says things like, you are each responsible for your own conduct. You have to, you have to worry about yourself. And, and I love here, and this is the thing, it's like we, the money thing's always hard to talk about. You know? 
And what I love about it is Paul talks about money all the time without saying the word money. But you reap what you sow. And he's saying that if you want to accomplish things for the cause of Christ, you have to engage in a number of different ways. Time, energy, finances. Those are, those are ways that we commit. And so Paul is challenging, I think, us to be better because we are better together. We are better together and we can accomplish more things together than we can apart. And then this is the best part of this passage for me is, is verses 8 through 10, where Paul starts to highlight this, this discipleship theme of confidence. We can have confidence. Why should we develop character and make commitments? I'll tell you why. Because we can be confident that he who has begun a good work in us will carry it out to completion. We can be confident that the same Jesus who was born in a manger and grew up perfectly sinless and stood before all of the world and ministered to people and and raised the dead and healed people and preached the gospel and shared the good news of the kingdom and loved people and welcomed people and then was sentenced to a death on a cross as a criminal even though he was innocent and dies on the cross so that we could experience salvation and then powerfully on the third day was raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit. The same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. We can have confidence that God will do what he said he'd do. And there's all these scripture promises that if we, if we sow and if we plant seeds, the Holy Spirit will harvest those things. And so I think this is an important part for us. Is like, why should we do the hard things? Because they are important and because God has promised to breathe on those things. He breathes on those things all the time. And I love the fact that as I have read scripture after scripture after scripture and meditated on, on the writings of really helpful theologians, I'm convinced that there is not a human being alive. There's not a human being alive who God doesn't love. I believe that. And I also believe that there's not a human being alive where the Holy Spirit isn't currently at work in their life. And so because of that, I have confidence that when I, when I share or extend sacrificial service or pray for somebody, that God's going God's to gonna bless those things. And so he's done it many times over the course of the years, and it's really, really beautiful. So, so what I'm kind of getting at is that I, I think that we have to rethink this idea of commitment to the mission of God and the mission of the church, which are one and the same thing. So I want to close with this. Um, the last couple of weeks, I've I've been meeting with uh, a variety of people, and I'm, and it's been really interesting. I'm hearing stories from people who are sharing things that God has done in, in this church uh, to help them. And, and even yesterday, you know, we were sitting with some friends, and, and someone was sharing about how, you know, when the fires happened and when there were all these power outages, um, our church, you know, was informed that there were kids that weren't going to be eating. Remember that? Some of you were around, right? And so what did we do? We, like, scrounged up some money, and we bought a bunch of food and gave lunches away. And it got, it was so cool because, like, the next year that something happened, the school called me. Like, hey, is there any way that you guys could do some lunches? I said, no, the guys will probably not do it, but I know there's a lot of ladies here who probably will do it. Because the guys are pretty lazy around here, okay? I'm one of them. But anyway, I digress. Point being is that we pulled it together and we did it. And, and then I talked to this mom who shared a story about how during those power outages, um, 
time. This was a couple weeks ago I had this conversation. During those power outages, the lunches that we provided on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday were the only, it's the only food source they had over the course of that week. And so, like, did we make a difference? Yeah. And I was like, I was like, really? It's like, I was there. We were handing it out. And she's like, yeah, I saw you. I was like, oh, cool. You know, and we talked a little bit, and it was this really neat thing. Like, okay, we made it. But here's the thing. All the stories I've heard in the past couple of weeks have been stories from two to three years ago. So on one hand, I want to celebrate the past. It's pretty cool. Made some differences. Right? Good thing. But I also want to look forward to the future. And I think we need to have some stories next month and next week and later on this year where we can say, look what God did. Look what God did. God took willing vessels, people who said yes and took a risk and, and were willing to sacrifice their time, energy, and their finances, and Jesus breathes on it, and he multiplies and blesses more people. That's the goal. Amen? That's the goal. Let's stand up together. New year, new me, new service time. We're a little bit later than normal. But I'm not apologizing. In the last couple of weeks, we've been really, actually for the last, for a while now, we've been thinking about this idea of next steps, okay? So if you look on the screen, this is, a, this is just a visual aid for us. Like, what are we about as a church community? So we know our mission. Our mission is to know Jesus and make Jesus known, right? But what does that look like? Well, I think there's three areas of our lives that we can kind of consider as being important. There's the upward focus, which is about worship, right, directed towards God. And then there's the inward focus where we have these rhythms and habits like prayer and scripture reading that help shape us and form us because we cannot give away what we don't have. Amen? can't give away what you don't have. So if you're not working on the inner self, it's hard to give something away. But then because of that, we also have an outward lean too where we want to see other people come to know Jesus. And so these three things, when you think about your next steps in your life, what each one of these areas you need to be stepping in. You need to step forward in your upward focus, in your inward focus, and in your outward focus. And so I'm going to ask everybody in the room just to close your eyes right now. And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit right now just to give us a bit of direction and, and maybe to have some space where we can pray for a moment. So Holy Spirit, would you... Would you be active right now? I know that you've been present with us this entire morning. But would you just rest on us in this room right now and speak to us and give us direction? As we're, we've been standing here and we're, we're wrestling with these three, these three themes, uh, Lord, developing character, being more committed, and having confidence, Lord, would you, Lord, help us to see the areas of our lives where we can take these next steps. And what does that look like, Lord?
guys look like sharing this morning. Um, you guys can just keep your eyes closed and just really focus in on what the Lord is speaking to you today. Um, I heard a few things that really connected with me. Um, I think they probably connected with quite a few other people. Um, I think Luke did a really good job of, this is a new year. This is January. Um, it's a great space for you to get involved, get out of your seats, get out of your comfort zones, and just really press into what you feel like God is directing you to do. This is a year of renewal. You know, some people might feel like they've just been in a slump. They can't get out. They can't move. They're debilitated. I've been there before. Um, but God wants to move. He wants to move in your spirit. He wants to move in your body. He wants to move in your giftings, your abilities. Whatever that looks like, whatever your strengths are, um, God wants to use those. And what your weaknesses are, he can be your strength. He can guide your steps and encourage you to move in those directions physically. Sometimes you just have to say, okay, Lord, I'm willing. I want to um, have a different type of year this year. Um, another thing that uh, really spoke to me was, you know, this could be a year where you're sacrificing your time for not just our church, you know, services or church building, but in the community. We have so many needs in different cities around us. And if you know of it, like, let's get together. Let's gather together and move outward like Luke was talking about. Um, another thing that um, I heard was... Are you growing in your faith? What does that look like right now? You know, we don't want to be stagnant. We want to continue to keep growing. In every relationship, you want to keep growing. So let's grow in our relationship with God. And that we're better together. One person can't do it. We have to, we have to be teams. This is a great place to get involved. It's exciting. And that was just a few things that God really spoke to me about today. What I'd like to have us do is just with everybody's eyes closed, just for a moment, um, I'd like to pray for our youth. And if you're here this morning and, you know, you there's a couple of things that Don just shared. Maybe you identify with one or two, or maybe you identify with a whole bunch of things. And maybe God's doing something completely different. So, Father, for every person in this room right now, Lord, we, I, I thank you. I love that we are all at different places in our faith, in our, in our relationship. This is a relational, relational thing. And I just pray a blessing for every person, wherever they're at. And I pray that, Lord, this week they would identify one or two areas to move forward and to take the next step. Lord, help us to be a church that's known for loving Jesus and loving our neighbors. And just bless your Lord, as we um, just um, close today, Lord, I pray that you would be with us. Let these words um, kind of resonate in our, in our, during the rest of our week, Lord, and that we would be open to how you want to move us in the next steps in the next week, Lord. 
who speak to us, with our families, our neighbors, our coworkers. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move. And we thank you so much for this today. I thank you for each and every person that's here today, Lord. They are here for a reason. I pray that you continue to speak to them. We love you, Lord. Amen.